Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nothing spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bello. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones. The game winner got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. JJ German for the win. He got it. JJ German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Monday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Another exciting edition of Sandos in the sidekick. We'll talk ETSU men's basketball, ETSU women's basketball. We will gloss over fail downs. Actually, won't gloss over fail downs. We'll have a great fail downs. Nope. No, no fail, fail downs. downs on Wednesday. Pros oh, fail downs. Jays Pro, oh, I was hoping. For, I'd say that is a fail down. Is it not? You'd love to gloss over pros versus Jays, but it's not going to happen. Okay. I would also like gloss over bowl predictions. Can we gloss over that? We cannot gloss over that, although I haven't looked at mine. Um, I'm guessing I'm probably going to want to do the same, but haven't looked yet. Okay. I know so I did maybe. not do well. I <laughs> did not do well. I did, 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 did not do well. All right, let's talk ETSU men's basketball shorthanded on the road against the VMI Kedets. No Bo Hodges, uh, and unfortunately for him, a cousin around his age, 21 years old, uh, passed away of a brain tumor, so certainly uh, uh, condolences and everything out to the Hodges family uh, dealing with that. Can't imagine uh, what that was like, and uh, Bo obviously made the right decision. I think Coach Forbes addressed in the pregame show about Pat being gone the week before and Bo being gone this game, that you can't say one, two, three, family when you break down after every practice and game if you don't mean it, and family comes first. So obviously Bo Hodges uh, took care of that. And in the same uh, Saturday, the Pat Good became a father, and uh, I don't know what got into him, maybe the birth of his daughter, but 14 points. He finally got back on track, three of five shooting, two of four from three, six of six from the line. The only guy that really outshined him was Davian Williamson, who was incredible again. 20 points, 11 of 11 from the free throw line. I think the only, the last time that happened was T.J. Cromer in the Southern Conference Tournament, and so it had been a couple years. But the Bucks hit 31 free throws, 31 of 35. If I can remember the stat off the top of my head, last time they did it was against Reinhardt last year, but against a Division One opponent was VMI in 2015. That was at home. Last time they did it on a road was Lipscomb 2014. So it had been a while since the Bucks had hit 30 or more free throws in a game, and they certainly needed every single one of them. Davian Williamson, double digit in points, four straight games, six of the last seven. Patrick Good was one for his previous 22 from the floor until he hit either it was his last three or three of his last four to go three for five from the field 14 points I love my efficient performances you'll remember that I called out Shania Jackson against Western Carolina when she had uh, five shot attempts had 18 points to go along with 
uh, 15 rebounds and a similar type scoring effort from Patrick Good. 14 points on five shots, uh, two of four from outside. And I remember on uh, bold predictions early last week, I said Patrick Good after taking some time away for a personal family issue. Now, I'm not as connected to the team as you are. I thought it was for the birth of his child. Um, I thought it was kind of around that time is when it's going to come about. And, and so just putting the pieces together, knowing the timeline and talking to Pat, I figured that's what it was. Turns out he comes back for the game against the Citadel, doesn't take a shot. I predicted that Pat Goodwood, now five plus threes is hard to do any day, but that he would come back from that absence and have a big day, have five plus threes. Ended up just being kind of one game off. And the family thing that he was attending to, whatever it originally was, whether it was uh, involved with the baby and the birth of his first child or not. Um, a week later, uh, he has the birth of his first child and uh, very happy for him and has that game that I think whenever you're coming down, and you would know this a lot better than I would, uh, being a father yourself uh, a few times now, whenever you're coming down the stretch for that, I-, I imagine there's a lot on your mind and there's a lot of pressure and there's just quite frankly things that are bigger than work, bigger than basketball, bigger than whatever you've got going on outside of your family and of your child. So, uh, Harkening back just to last week, that's kind of where my head was at, and it was good to see that everything came together on Saturday for Pat Good. A really joyous day for him, and he dedicated the uh, game afterwards to not only the birth of his first child and his family, but also to Bo Hodges' family, which I thought was a real class act with him dealing with such a tragedy. It's, I thought that was great, too. It was able to come up, and then Coach Forbes at the end kind of brought it full circle. We had a birth and a death, everything going on in between, but you know, I was 35 when I had my first child. I'm sitting here trying to rack my brain what in the world college Jay would have did. Uh, and I wasn't even an athlete, so I can't imagine, like, the rigors of that, dealing with all that. I will say the closest thing I, I can at least relate to when my twin boys were born, they were going, if they weren't born ahead of time, they were going to go in and induce the day of the Kennesaw State game of when football was making its return after 12 years. And I remember talking to our gynecologist, which was Ginger Carter, her husband, Stacy Carter, is the head football coach at Science Hill. And so I'm trying to talk to her about, like, Ginger, you know the deal now. I can't get divorced and fired on the same day. Like, you've got to work with me here. And she was like, oh, well, we'll try to get in the morning. I mean, you know, our last kid was born, and Stacy doesn't miss pregame meal. I said, okay, well, that's the coach. I, I don't know the wife of the radio guy is, is going down that route. But it was a week early. So it was the Thursday before that, so I had enough time to go. But there was a there was some rough moments where I'm sitting there going, I, I, "What in the world?" I mean, I know what I I know where I would be, but still that, coming down the stretch, I remember what that was like. So I can't imagine again for Pat. And I will say this: there was a little bit of a theme again, where in the first half we had a team that looked like they were not going to miss again. And it's amazing to me because they weren't all clean looks. Just like they weren't all clean looks. There's a couple of games this year where teams have had good clean looks or layups at the rim like Mercer and they shot a high percentage but this was a time where again I felt like for the most part yeah there were some guys that got loose but for the most part you know they, they weren't bad it wasn't terrible defense there were guys just knocking down shots and it's like the fourth or fifth time but then I don't know if percentages worked out I know ETSU certainly switched how they were defending that and I think we'll hear uh, from coach Forbes uh, two or three sound bites here in just a second but he switched up a little bit what they were doing defensively. That kind of changed some things. They were switching. They didn't get hardly any clean looks unless it was in transition. But for the most part, I, I think percentages worked out for VMI. But VMI is a weird, scary team because you look at the record, you look at everything they've done, and you're going, well, it's got to be a win, right? But then you look at, okay, they, they should have won at Furman. 
you know, they're probably a couple of shots away from beating ETSU. They've got a couple other single-digit one or two possession losses on their schedule. And that's a team where it's like, yes, it's still VMI where teams are banking they win, but at some point in time, I think they are going to shock somebody and they're going to pick somebody off. And I don't know that many teams would want to play them in Southern Conference Tournament, especially if they win their first-round game because you're talking about they played the day before. We've seen this before in this tournament, in the Southern Conference Tournament, where a team played the night before, got kind of hot, and stayed hot the next day and gave teams fits and plucked off the next team, only losing the semifinal but to make a lot of noise in the quarters. We went over this entire thing on Friday, and it's difficult not to revisit it after seeing what happened. I'm 100% with you, and we talked about it off here before this and even a little bit Friday. VMI is going to get one of these. And in the first half, I definitely thought the – pieces were adding up all the different elements were in place for it to be the game against ETSU you look at since their 16 point loss to Furman in this calendar year's conference opener for them lost by three to Sanford lost by 12 to Western lost by six to the Bucks at Freedom Hall not really a bad loss uh, at Mercer 11 that looks like a pretty decent loss now beat Citadel of course at Wofford, lose by 12. Now, I know Terriers are trending downward a little bit, but still coming into the year, uh, one of the favorites for you know to be a top 3-4 team, certainly, despite what they lost last year. Lost by 3 to Mercer. Lost by 2 in overtime at Furman. Lost by 6 to Wofford. Beat Citadel by 11. And then the Chattanooga game, which was a little bit one-sided. But then the Bucks showed up, as they have in the second half. This is five straight 40-plus point second halves now. And the stat that we had on Friday, I believe, was in this calendar year, the halves that they scored 40 or more, eight of the nine now have been in the second half it's not just a mirage it's not just an aberration it's clear that this team when they go to the locker room regardless of how they perform in the first half seems to wake up if it's Steve Forbes saying something if it's players rallying around each other whatever the case may be uh, obviously the Bucks just have a different means about them in the second half to get things done here's coach Forbes credit to our kids I mean to come in here and survive win find a way Adversity, not having Bo today, no excuses, but we miss him, especially on the defensive end. And thought we had some guys step up. Pat shot the ball really well, made some plays. Davian was aggressive. I thought Lucas was a force inside, especially in the second half. And how about us going 31 for 35 from the line? And that tells you, well, at least it tells me how aggressive we were because – they played zone for 40 minutes, and we shot 35 free throws. So that means we were not settling. We were driving the ball, and I'm proud of our guys for that. Ten straight games in double figures now for Lucas Goussaint and a couple of trends from the first and second half. We knew Travis Evie couldn't be perfect the entire day, right? He hit his first six shots and then went cold, and when he went cold, it seemed like all of the key dads went cold. One for 17 over a, what, 13-minute span, something like that. And while the game was still close at the end, which was obviously concerning, you saw um, pointless stretches of three minutes for each side and then a pointless stretch of five minutes for VMI. And then field goal-wise, it was like, I don't even remember what the stretch was for VMI, seven or eight minutes for ETSU. It was five or six on its own. So it wasn't exactly the prettiest basketball in the second half, but 31 of 35 is just otherworldly from the line. Yeah, I think that's the that's the great thing about it. And it was a game where the the assigner, the, the officials assigner was there grading them and you always get and I don't I would love to know every game that Mike Wood for an example for the Southern Conference is at grading officials. I I tend every time I see a referee like that I cringe because you normally get ten or fourteen more fouls called 
especially if it's not guys that are working on a consistent basis high major. And so, you know, I think Mike Wood came in for the Wofford game New Year's Day. Clearly they had some high major officials in there, and neither team got to the bonus in the first half. So those guys are used to that. But on a Saturday when an official signer, I don't care whether we've been in the ASUN or we've been in the Southern Conference, I guarantee you go across all leagues, you're going to see more fouls called. The other thing I think is you generally can tell how a game is going to be called early and which team adjusts and ETSU continued to get to the line, which favored them because VMI wants to shoot more threes. That's their MO this year. But when they weren't, and they were in the middle of that one for 17 stretch, they were able to figure out themselves if they drive and try to get to the line. Then they could get a few extra points, and they were able to kind of claw back in it there when it looked like ETSU may run away with it during that stretch where they were struggling from the floor. So I think you give VMI a little bit of credit, but I think the Bucks realized early they were able to go to the rim, and they continued to do that. More from Coach. After my first one went in, no I mean, I felt I felt like I was back. I felt like it was a, a heat check type shot. Just to know that my teammates still want me to keep shooting, coaches still want me to keep shooting. I know it was a big point in the game, and I know I had to knock it down. I mean, even though I've, I've struggled this past month, I haven't stayed away from the gym or anything like that. So, I mean, I've seen my shot go in, so I know if you just keep shooting, it's going to eventually go in. So I've kind of just harped on that, and, and I feel like I'm a big-time player, so I had to step up and make big-time plays. I think this is the tough part with – a player like Patrick Good, when the shot isn't going down, he can be rendered pretty ineffective. And when you don't have that second dimension to your game, and now he's shown the ability to go inside a bit more this year. I'd say a little bit more every year since he came over from Appalachian State, but at Appalachian State also like 94% of his shots were threes. But that is the difficulty when you've got um, – and this is not meant to denigrate Patrick Good in any way, but I think his three-point shooting is so far ahead of every other aspect of his game. And you've talked about it before on the show, the – the hero lore type stories of he's up at 5 a.m. every day shooting in the gym, two, 300 shots a day. You're bound to just be better at that one thing if you're putting in that much time on that one part of your game. And it's not to rain on Pat's parade or anything like that. I thought it was an awesome game. The Bucks clearly needed it, and it just plays into, once again, the narrative that we built all year long that when you don't have it from a certain guy for a certain period of time, other guys step up, fill his shoes. When the Bucks literally did not have one of their big guys on Saturday, a guy that hadn't previously been there in the statistical department helping the Bucks uh, in the scoring column, certainly over the last month, shows up right on time. First, I'll start with Pat. I think the way he's worked on his game, there are a few things Pat does that I don't think a lot of people in America can do, and one of them is sprinting down the floor in a dead sprint, catch and be able to elevate, square your shoulders, and be able to, to shoot a balanced shot. You know, he's not off-balance. Off-balance isn't his game. There are players, clearly Fletcher McGee and some other guys, that off-balance is their game. You know, Francis Lonzo, another guy that could go by. But off-balance shots, not necessarily Pat's game. He gets square, he gets elevated. You know, he, again, it's repetition. It's all that. The second thing is, I think where Trey Boyd was able to elevate his game, I think Pat is going to have to figure out, hey, they're going to always try to defend. I mean, UNCG guards Pat with James Dickey because they don't want him to shoot threes. They don't want him to get open, and they're not really scared of a four-man situation. Uh, now, it depends on who's in there, but if they've got the the big guy, uh, Abdullah Salam, or they got Kyron Galloway in there, they'll put those guys in the post and let Dickey, who's more athletic and long, get on a shooter, which I think is, a, is honestly a great job by Wes Miller. Now, the backside of your comment I think that's impressive is when they needed him because, again, it's a situation where ETSU is – the depth is incredible. And every night it seems to be one or two guys able to step up. 
whether it's Davian Williamson who had that stretch you mentioned where he struggled four or five games, all of a sudden he turned it around. Pat Good had six, seven games he's struggling. Has he turned it around? I think we've seen that's what's most impressive. I mean, Charlie Weber gets in for seven minutes and he makes one of the plays of the game. I mean, he's sitting on the bench for a long period of time this season overall. Gets in seven minutes. You know, he's got to play a little more. All. And he comes up and gets an offensive rebound, puts it in, gives the Bucks basically the winning bucket, if you will. If they had the game-winning RBI in baseball still, that's what that bucket would be because I put the Bucks up for good. They never look back. But 61-59, I think it was, as you just said. So, uh, But that ended up being a big – and, again, it, it, it's something that may not show up great. You look at the stats, you go, oh, Charlie played seven minutes, two points. But when did he score? What was he able to do? You know, when did Pat score? He had uh, – two threes but the second three was when ETSU needed it the most they had been struggling and then free throws coach said championship level I don't know that you can get more championship level than 31 or 35 so it's everybody doing just that little bit more right and obviously Pat was the one that did a lot more than he had done the previous six games when he had just three combined points but you mentioned Charlie Weber a very timely basket and people may not look at the stat line and be blown away but what is Charlie going to give you on a game-by-game basis in important games down the stretch? He's not going to get a lot of time if, if ETSU is at full strength, just to be perfectly transparent and clear. Um, and so for him to come in and get that basket in crunch time, that's giving more than you would expect on a given day. And then Trey Boyd, yeah, 14 points, but he went four for 14, then fills the stat sheet with five assists and four rebounds. And that's just a little more than you would expect from Trey in those categories on a given day. So uh, very impressive all-around team performance, considering they were missing – Coming into the year, I think you'd probably say they're two most dangerous players. Am I wrong, Bo Hodges and Jeremy Rodriguez? Oh, yeah, I, I think by far. Here's Coach Forbes to hype you up for Wednesday. That's why we signed up for this, right, is to play for uh, big games, championship-level games, and that's what this is. And I'm excited for the game. I'm excited for our players to get the opportunity to play in it. I, mean, I have utmost respect for Furman. Bob Ritchie's one of the finest coaches around. They, they run a great system. They have really good players. It should be the highlight of mid-major basketball, I would I would guess, on Wednesday night. And I encourage everybody to come out and fill it up, and let's get at it. 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 Pont. I, I think I think he shortchanged it. I've, I've already read several articles where they've mentioned it amongst the top five games in basketball, period, wow. on the college level. So people are aware – that night, there were no. There's no two teams that have more wins combined that will play each other. I think the close. I think there's 45 between the two, right? 23 and 22, Correct. respectively. I think the next closest is 36. Wow. Combined wins. So now, again, Wednesday night is not as heavy as maybe Thursday, but on Wednesday night, there's not two teams that have won more basketball games that will face up and a meaningful. The top two teams tied for the league that are going to go at it. So I've seen in The Athletic, I've seen ESPN, CBS has did something. There's three different sites that give a sort of a games of the week type deal. And a lot of it because of NCAA tournament, people were wondering. I mean, all these bubble teams are praying that ETSU wins out at this point. They don't want ETSU. I don't think they want Furman or Greensboro, two of the three teams, to win out the rest of the way when I'm losing a championship game. The rest of the country's pulling for – ETSU because they're the highest ranked team they they want ETSU to win they want UNCG to split with Furman and Wofford they want Furman to split with UNCG and Wofford so those extra couple losses gets them out of the conversation that's what America wants that that isn't involved in either mid-majors or non-southern conference fans I think there's a lot of mid-majors that are clamoring to get more teams in because of how weak it is 
but that's what the rest of the country that just believes that it's only power fives and that's all it should be. We'll talk Bucks Paladins Wednesday. All right, we're going to talk ETSU women's hoops. Also, Bucks Paladins. They played on Saturday. We'll talk about that right for this time out. Send us sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sanderson, a sidekick, back with you talking ETSU women's basketball. Just talked about the men, and I didn't. Uh, let me just backtrack for the men for a second because uh, there's a theme here. You look at the men's standings, and there's basically a, a three horse race to who's going to win the regular season title, ETSU Furman UNCG. Then you've got a cluster of four fighting from three through seven. And the reason that's important because the seven seed, unlike the women's that we're going to talk about here in just a second, has got to play that 7 10 game. And right now, Western and Wofford, a game ahead of Chet and Mercer, both the first two teams at 8-6, and six. Chet and Mercer 7-7. Seven and seven. But Wofford has the toughest stretch because they've got to play the top three teams, and then they've got to play Mercer on the road. Chet, statistically speaking, for who they have left, would have the easiest path of everybody else. So it would be interesting to see because whoever falls in that seven seed gets to play Citadel, and Citadel's over 14. But then the two seed's got to be unhappy with one of those four teams, Western, Wofford, Chatter, Mercer, in the quarterfinal game. So it's even more impaired. It's, I, I would argue it's better to be first or sixth because the sixth seed doesn't have an extra game to get ready. I say that because then I looked at the women's standings again, which is quite incredible. And I know we talk about it every game. But UNCG and Sanford, 7-3 and three both. A half game above Wofford and Chad at 7-4. and four. Furman sitting at 6-5. and five. Mercer's still not out of the conversation at 3-7. and seven. ETSU, a little more work to do at 3-8 and eight and Western 2-8, and eight, but 1-5 through five could easily flip-flop. And again, Mercer could have some say here, but 1-5, through five, it could easily be flip-flop. Furman could get hot when the rest of their games, UNCG and Sanford could lose the rest of their games, and then they end up being the 4-5 and right now ahead of 1. So every game and the women thing, and it's going to be the most wide-open tournament maybe at any level. Uh, as far as women's basketball goes. But Furman did pick up a much-needed win uh, over ETSU, and they did it really defending the arc, just allowing ETSU 2 of 17, but rebounding with a spectacular performance, 42-22, to 22, including Hodges with 15 rebounds by herself. I thought the interesting part, and we broke down the game a number of different ways on Friday, uh, someone we did not mention, Milica Manolovic, uh, 19 points, hit her first six shots. And she's a solid player, no question, but the three people that we really talked about were Leger Davidson, obviously, you know, someone that can really shoot it and did light it up a little bit for Furman from beyond the arc at four for seven. Hodges, we talked about her being the efficient wing that goes in, gets rebounds, doesn't need a lot of shots to get a lot of points. That was very clear and evident with her 12 points and 15 rebounds on six and nine from the field. The third person we totally missed on. And from my understanding, she is not injured. 
Selena Tabor really just didn't get because any I time. saw that too, and and I, I held off saying anything because I th- was hoping you'd have an update for me, and you did I not tried. really. No, okay, I, I tried that's to find un- it. That's unbelievable to me. I talked to people that were there. There apparently was absolutely no sign that she was injured or um, at any point reeling, needed to be taken out for any number of reasons. Uh, We did highlight the fact that her touches have been going down recently. Only 13 shots in the last three games heading into this one against ETSU, but zero of zero for zero points and no significant stats across her stat line in just five minutes kind of takes her lack of opportunity and lack of activity in the post and all of the different things that we tried to bring out of that conversation on Friday to a whole other level. I mean, you and me would not have said if Selena Taborn yeah. goes for zero points is shut out and plays five minutes at ETSU is going to lose by 20 and really kind of be out of it from really after the first six minutes. It was a tight game, and then they just went in a run and really never looked back. The last time she played 20 minutes or more was at ETSU, which – Again, I, I and I, I don't remember. I was at Mercer, and it felt like late in the game she was in the game for sure. So I guess I just assumed because I went there first half that she probably played normal minutes, but she only played 15 minutes at Mercer. Played uh, 21 against ETSU, 11 Chat, 18 Greensboro, 10 Western, 11 Bob Jones. She had double figures there. 19 against Wofford had 14 points, then 14, 15, 10, and then five against ETSU. So I don't first single don't digit know. minute game I would guess in a very very long time for her. Certainly not this season, I wouldn't think. Yeah, that is that is correct. I'm going to double. You keep talking. I will So anyway, scour this point being, uh, Manolovich was the one that filled in for Taborn's production that you would usually get. And again, the production has been down, and Manolovich kind of made up for not only her own production, but then Taborn's as well. She filled the shoes of two people, really, and also stuffed the stat sheet in other ways, six rebounds and five assists. And it was interesting to look at the rebounding numbers because that's something that we discussed on Friday's show about ETSU – uh, obviously getting hurt in that way by Wofford uh, on Thursday, uh, last Thursday, when they were out-rebounded 35-20. to 20. The main problem with that, though, is the second-chance points. When Wofford scored 23, ETSU didn't have any. Even though the Bucks were minus 20 on the glass against Furman, they still were tied in second-chance points. And so they closed that gap, didn't have the second chances hurt them as much, but when you're getting out physical in that way consistently throughout the game, it's just demoralizing, I, I think. It's maybe not so much about the direct second chance points, but uh, when you are just constantly getting stops and then the other team is having second chances, more time is draining off the clock. They're just a more efficient scoring team, 54% from the field, TTSU's 30% from the field, then you are fighting maybe more of a mental battle than a statistical battle. I, I've often argued, and I don't know why because it would be easy to do, time of possession. You know, they keep that in soccer, you know, because it's important to keep that. Like even football, obviously, it's a lot of read, but I think basketball is equally. Uh, important now some teams doesn't matter right they they want to shoot quick they want to get the game tempo it's another but i think sometimes it would tell a telling stat uh, because of extra possessions just you know whether it's a turnover whether it's second chance opportunity a lot of different things i really wish that you could get more of that again i'm a stat geek so i i kind of feel like sometimes it could tell a story before i forget there's two other times that table has played single digits Mississippi State, last year, five minutes, fouled out in five minutes. Wow. UNCA played eight, no, no, six minutes, 
and had four fouls. Oh, man. So, foul trouble there. Zero fouls. And, and zero at each end. So, th- it's still uh, an anomaly. But those are the one time each year of her career that's happened. But two times, one a foul out, which is almost hard incredible to do Incredible in, five, in minutes. five minutes, yeah. And then four fouls in like six minutes, which is still almost incredible to do. So, other than that, all right, I'll backtrack. Uh, or go back to what we were talking about a second ago. Just, uh, I had to get that out there. It's bothering me. So, I, I think the time of possession, the, the extra chance opportunities – Second chance points, all that turnovers. Because if you take ETSU, amazingly had six turnovers. I mean, you know, they had plus 11 on the turnovers, but plus 20 on rebounds. And the offensive rebounds weren't that bad either. You know, uh, there's a, sometimes a telling stat is out of the 20 rebounds, if they were plus 10 on the offensive, but they were only minus two on offensive rebounds. And then they were minus 11. Now you look at shooting percentages, and for the game, 54% for Furman. So you take 54, you see 27 to 50, you add in the 11 missed shots that they were able to get a rebound. You know, that's 27 out of 39, if you want to look at it that way, because they were able to get extra opportunities uh, to go with it there. And I know it's funny math I'm doing, but still. And then they shot 54% for the game, 48% in the second half for the Bucks only shot 30%. So they were more defensive rebounds to go around but i i really thought Furman maybe coming off a couple of losses maybe feeling sorry for themselves etsu had an opportunity but defensively Furman seemed to be locked in and certainly offensively they were efficient eight to twelve from outside where etsu was just two of 17 and when you're a team that isn't as efficient as those across from you and Furman was leading the southern conference during league play and field goal percentage entering saturday against etsu you have to be opportunistic Right, and so the Bucks, yes, they forced 17 turnovers, but they got just 10 points off those. While Furman only forced the six and got seven points. So while you're plus 11 in the turnover battle, you're only plus three in points off turnovers. And if you're not converting at a higher rate against a team that has clearly, as you can tell by Selena Table, are not playing that much, and the Paladins still putting up 66, 67 points on 54 percent from the field. Clearly, a lot of options when one of your stars only plays five minutes, but you have someone else in Manolovic step up and go eight of 10 from the floor for 19 points. I thought it was interesting. Leger Davidson didn't start. Now she did come in and play 24 minutes and put up those 12 points. We talked about first game. She hasn't started this year. Uh, clearly didn't have a whole lot of an impact on the game, but very interesting going towards the postseason. You talked about the standings at the beginning of this segment. Very interesting. What uh, Jackie Carson is doing with her team and personnel type decisions, perhaps Selena Taborn. This is just tapering minutes off down the stretch with the Paladins, not necessarily solidified as a middle of the pack team, uh, four, five, six at this point, or should I say three, four, five at this point? Uh, maybe they're not solidified there, but they haven't had this season in the regular season. They're not in contention really at this point. You know, you can say and nitpick and say mathematically they're not eliminated, sure, but they're really not in contention at this point for a Southern Conference regular season championship and the one seed. So is this quote unquote? load management as they talk about the NBA level for Selena Tabor and tapering those minutes off and getting her then some rest on those legs and working her back in for the postseason. Leger Davidson, we know she plays tons of minutes. Maybe they're trying to give her a little bit of a break. Um, Odd personnel things. Uh, Clearly the team stepped up and regardless of who is starting, who is out there, uh, they were able to put their best foot forward. But for ETSU, it's, it's reload time. You know, you're back at home. You've got Sanford you want to put up a better offensive effort. And that means you have to be, because you only scored 34 points against them the first time around, you have to be obviously better shooting the ball from the field. 11-12 from the line wasn't bad, 92%. I mean, you'll take that every time. Would like to get there maybe a little bit more. But 11 free throws made in the game. 
for this conference season that's better than ETSU averages. So I think you'll take that. But uh, you have to be more dialed in. You have to get a better effort from your leading scorer, Micah Sheets, who is one of 12 for five points, did have a team-high four assists. And you just have to, when you force turnovers, go down low, get inside, get out in transition, run, create some broken floor situations, and find the person that can finish and create those points off turnovers. Because against Sanford, and we've seen a number of times throughout the year, and we'll talk more about this Wednesday, but they're a team that still, despite not playing that same style of game that they have under Mike Morris over the last, you know, it was 17 years. This is uh, Carly Coon's third coach ever for Sanford. So it was quite the long period of time that Mike Morris was doing his thing. They wanted to hold you to 45. They still want to do that under Carly Coons. It's just not their only way to win anymore. And you've seen that in the fact that they put up big point totals from here to there. So it will be a game where points are at a premium, even more so maybe than some other nights, considering what you did last game against Sanford and considering what they can do defensively. We have seen teams struggle, uh, or ETSU struggle against teams that play a similar defensive lockdown style that Sanford does. Back in the gym Tuesday and Wednesday, have to make the most of those days and go to shoot around with a purpose. They've been much better on Thursdays than they have Saturdays this year, um, just in terms of their togetherness, it seemed like, and their energy. And I don't know if that's time of day or time of game or time of practice, whatever it is, uh, but they have to make sure to come out together with a common goal and with some energy because Sanford, if you don't, they can really lock you down like they did when the two teams played uh, three or four Saturdays ago down in Birmingham. Well, and with Sanford battling for the one seed, you know, they're going to already kind of come in ready to go. And, you know, Sanford and UNCG, the, the top of the league, they've got four games compared to Wofford and Furman and Chad. has only got three games left. But And, and Sanford's got to go to ETSU. Then another team that's fighting for position, Chattanooga, at UNCG. So it's going to be interesting to see because Furman and Wofford still play each other. Furman still has to play UNCG. Sanford has to play UNCG. Wofford has to play UNCG. Uh, Chattanooga gets a couple of teams too. So it's going to be interesting to see still probably uh, you look at things and I would say Sanford has a little bit of an easier road just if you're looking at standings. They play the the, the teams towards the bottom uh, and in the middle of the pack, not really any of the tops where UNCG's got to go Wofford, Furman, Sanford at Mercer. And so really going. So it would be interesting to see how it goes. I think ETSU back at home, you know, the thing is with this women's tournament, again, I stand by it. This is wide open as any. I can see many teams winning the women's tournament because nobody has stepped up to really take a stranglehold of it. Can ETSU, we'll talk about it thir- or Wednesday for Thursday's game, can they be able to get a little bit of a hot streak because they get two home games? Then you get your arch rival Chattanooga, which you had the triple overtime thriller at home. Can you be able to maybe get a little bit of headway, get a little bit of steam, pick up maybe three wins in a row, and then go feeling pretty good about yourselves when you go into the Southern Conference Tournament? That being said, you got to turn around on Thursday and get that going against Sanford. And then a team you beat, Mercer, and a team in a triple overtime. So if you can get the Sanford win, I think you beat Mercer on the road. I'd be able to have a good chance to beat them at home on Saturday on senior day, and then you certainly have a chance to ruin Chattanooga and get a little payback for that triple overtime defeat here in Johnson City. That being said, we'll preview women's basketball on Wednesday for their Thursday contest, both games this week, inside Brooks Gym. We'll step aside for a timeout. Mike has a terrible segment coming up after this timeout. To your word from Santa Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold, 
Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Pros. Buckle up for Kobe Kobe Bryant just sucked the gravity out of the target center. What a play. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! In your life have you seen anything like that? In the deep left center for Mitchell. And we'll see you tomorrow. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. In a year that has been so the impossible has happened. Edmonds hit 42 home runs during the regular season. And we are going to game seven in the National League Championship Series. out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going to go the Bears. The Bears have won. The Bears have won. Versus Jays. I need a shower. I really do need a shower. I don't even know what you're going to do today, but I still feel like I need a shower after whatever you're about to do. Habitual, you need a shower. The coaches show last Monday, and regardless of what I'm saying about your body odor or lack thereof, we know one thing to be true outside of these comments, and it was that Steve Forbes was on a mission. And this is setting up a coaches show tonight, which I'm hoping is a lot of the same because it was quite fantastic despite the fact that some of the uh, brutality that Steve Forbes released on air came at the expense of me. But first, before we get to that, it started with you. One and done, baby. I mean, but the, one for one. It's my career. There's always the possibility if you don't make it, though, we have to, you'd have to miss the bus because we're not going to wait on you that So long. Steve Forbes talking about how he's basically not waiting on you inside an arena to try and make a shot if you missed the first time. And that's what you were saying. One and done. I'll make it. I'm walking off. That's it for me. And Steve basically says that. I'm garbage. You're leaving. You know, it's gone without you. you don't He's make saying for time. one hour, I wouldn't hit a shot. Yep, and okay. the boss is not waiting for you. Uh, you're not, not apparently an integral part enough of this totally program to be waited on. Uh, it only got more blasphemous, more ugly, and more inhumane from there. Well, Gallagher's from Minnesota. I don't have a lot of faith in that. I'm from Iowa. We don't like Minnesota a lot from Iowa. You know why all the trees in Iowa point towards Minnesota? Well, Minnesota sucks. Very offensive. Uh, took major, major toll on my psyche when I was back here in the studio. Which is hard to do. Uh, I was producing the coach's show, and I told Coach Forbes the next day when he was continuously making fun of me outside of the mini-dome, I said, I should have just hit the kill switch right there. I'm the one running the show back here. I can definitely just hit the power button, and everything comes crashing down. Uh, Did not do that, although in hindsight I kind of wish I would have. Uh, I also believe that there was someone else that wished they could have hit the kill switch on the show that night, and he resides in Iowa. I mean, my brother's probably four or five inches shorter than me and four years younger than me. I think he pretty much got put in the basket anytime, anywhere, any place that was played. And that would be in the bedroom on the Nerf hoop, okay? Yeah, sure. Broke him through the door a couple times. And then, um, you know, out on the concrete slab, then he'd go in there and cry to my mom. So, um, you know, maybe he could beat his kids. I don't know. Maybe he's listening there in North Liberty, Iowa right now. The reason why he's listening in North Liberty because it's probably cold and you can't go outside right now in Iowa, but that would be my guess. And, by the way, Phil, 
Have you guys figured out how to count your votes yet in your caucus? Because I, I, that's just damn embarrassing. Still makes me laugh. That high math thing is a little harder for you. So good luck with that. So I'm wondering if you've ever heard as complete and total of dismantling on air of a family member as Steve Forbes did on Brother Phil. So it started with basketball as kids and how basically Steve Forbes started dominating Phil at a young age. Then rips on Iowa. A number of different times. It is his home state, but he has since gotten out. And looking back, he obviously is going to make fun of Brother Phil and Iowa that he still uh, resides in North Liberty, apparently. Uh, talked about how he used to cry to his mom. And we're all adults here now, but that still stings, I think, if your brother Phil. Then talks about how maybe he could beat his own kids in basketball these days. And then goes in on North Liberty itself and the fact that it's super cold there rubs it in that it's always really nice here in Johnson City and that we live in almost pristine conditions all year round, at least compared to North Liberty, Iowa. And then uses current events to continuously blast Brother Phil. Have you seen as complete of a teardown as Steve Forbes gave to Brother Phil on the coach's show? Or if you have, have you ever been as involved in one as you were on Monday? Because that, to me, was complete totality, and Brother Phil probably still curled up in a ball in a closet somewhere. First of all, it was a life lesson again, big brother to little brother. Do not send a message of an open-ended thing like that where you're going to give an open mic to a relative that you know is a loose cannon and is not going to hold back. And I think Phil actually sent Coach a text who he showed me during the break of, yeah, next time I need to call in. Yes, Phil, oh, y- y- yes, you do number one, but oh, number boy. two, eventually you're going to hang up and he's still going to have an open mic. That being said, at, to a family member, I can't remember one uh, so great. I don't know. You've worked with a lot of savages I, in the Buccaneer Sports Network. Yeah, but You've had I mean, a lot I mean, of even, partners I'm trying to think, in your time. Even when I was in – working studio for other universities and things i'm trying to think if there was one that was that solid i mean i've heard people call in and sort of get a joke by without the host knowing but But that's that's one but that's not really like six yeah that's not really that's not really what it is i mean of course i've on the internet people have sent me one where like a call-in show guys hammered somebody me personally doing a show i think that's tops and i think i thought it was i thought it was tremendous how how he started, where he went to, the depth of it. And it was one of those where he definitely went to things that was trying to cut to the bone. It oh, wasn't yeah. just a, a little elbow shot to to his brother. He was he was hitting them with body blows and eventually got that uppercut in. Just listen to all the and thens and continually just unleashing because it doesn't stop with the one, the two. You can see there's one thing after another. And then it's almost like there's a switch at the end of this comment that jogs one more, the final death blow. I mean, my brother's probably four or five inches shorter than me. Yeah, there's one. And four years younger than me. I think he pretty much got put in the basket. Two. Anytime, anywhere, any place that was played. <laughs> Three, four, and five. That would be in the bedroom Six. on the Nerf hoop. Seven. Okay. Yeah, like, sure. Broke him through the door a couple times. Ouch. And then, um, you know, out on the concrete slab, then he'd go in there and cry to my mom. That counts so, for like five. Um, you know, maybe he could beat his kids. I don't know. Maybe he's listening there in North Liberty, Iowa. I'm like right 13 now. right reason now. The reason why he's listening in North Liberty because it's probably cold and he can't go That's outside. That's six right months now. worth of disses right there because it's from and September. By the March way, Phil, 
Have you guys figured out how to count your boats yet in your caucus? And no, by the way. That's just damn embarrassing. And no, by the way. That high math thing is a little harder for you. And he throws in the math at the end. You have to listen to it like three or four times, and believe me, I have, to get all of them because it's just one after another. Now, this one isn't quite as multi-level as we go pros versus Jays. It's always a pro, and in this case, Ian Eagle with the czar, Mike Fratello versus Jay and Coach Forbes. Uh, in this case, it's more Coach Forbes on the Coach's Show with Voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz, hosting it. And there were some questions leading to really, as Phil jumped in too, questions leading to all of this uh, hate that Steve Forbes was spewing. Of course, satirical. He loves you, me, and brother Phil. Uh, and I like to think that it's uh, well, kind of in that order in reverse. You're number three, I'm number two, and Phil. I think that if the more hate you show towards one person, the more you love them. So he loves Brother Phil a lot, loves me second most, and then he kind of took it easy on you with the, if you don't make a shot for an hour, we're leaving you. I, I thought the Minnesota joke with the trees sucking. And he, by the way, does say if he, that he's looked online and all of the trees point north everywhere. Apparently that's a thing. Sure. So he, has, he says there's science behind it. But the czar, Mike Fratello, and Ian Eagle, again, not quite as complete 100% all over the board, but it was pretty direct from Ian Eagle on the Yes Network. This is a New Jersey Nets I believe still when they were in New Jersey, maybe when they were in Brooklyn, dug up this beauty because it truly is a gem. Could I make one point? Sure can. I just want to say that earlier you had a very patronizing tone towards me. I fully understand what a slip screen is. I've been doing the NBA for 18 years. But the way you presented it initially was gobbledygook. So like the audience, I wanted you to come back and explain yourself. And you then just took a firing line on me, and it was uncalled for. I don't think so. That's exactly what happened. You are overly sensitive to I am not. Did you have a bad day today? <laughs> it's second game of a back-to-back. The it's ride back from Philly, tough. did it like disturb you well, last night? That was two hours with you, which is probably the reason why I've had enough tonight. Time out. Needless to say, you and Matt Wilgem yeah. aren't quite going at each other no. like that. At least I don't think. But I no, I've done, I, I've just had, crushes I've had bizarre. that. Uh, believe it or not, me and Don Hillman in baseball have had a couple of those. Really? Yeah. And the funny thing is, is it's generally starts out sort of the same way. Like one of us is offended by the But then it generally gets into where it gets more towards the end where they're sort of joking about it. It got so bad one time in a series that on Monday or Tuesday, there was a guy that I can't remember who it was. I was eating somewhere at lunch and near campus, and a guy stops me and goes, Hey, really enjoy listening to baseball. I said, No, he goes, I got a question. I'm like, Yeah, do you and Don even like each other? And I'm like, What? <laughs> he said, Yeah, I said, I just, from the tone for last year, so I just, I said, It just seems like you guys don't like each other. And like, I mean, are you forced to work with him? And I'm like, Oh, my. so they had to talk with him. I was like, Don, I, I mean, I, we may be having a good time, but it, it, and we go at each other pretty hard, but it's not coming across that way. So, and I was usually the, you're shocked. I'm usually the instigator uh, of it all, but I, we, we did sort of stop, but that's been a running joke that me and Don have had before because he'll say, I know, you know, I don't even like you because th- that's a joke from there. We don't do it as much, but it was a time where we, we would go at it pretty heavily about something. Rather, somebody said something wrong, or like if somebody again, you had two play-by-play guys. We switch off innings occasionally. You forget which guy was doing an inning, so you would jump into in and out of play-by-play or do whatever, or you would say something and try to. I don't want, as he said, dumb it down. We wouldn't necessarily do that, but sometimes we go back and explain. But the way you do it, you would look at the guy, you know, because that's what you're doing. You got a partner, whether you're talking to them or not. You're 
And so you, he would say, well, you know, I used to coach baseball. I'm not dumb. I know what that. And I'm like, well, that's not what I would admit. But we'd go back and forth. So I've had a little bit of that, although it did seem like Ian was a well, bit more perturbed. So that's, a little bite at the end of that. That's what I'm curious about because you can see it's kind of petering out to the, oh, we're just joking. And then Ian jumps back in and says, well, that was two hours with you which is probably why I've had enough tonight. Their defense for that, because they apparently got letters and tweets and calls and all this stuff about, like, wow, that was really uncomfortable. Like, are, are Ian and, and Czar, like, wringing each other's necks off air? Or what's going on? And an article after the fact in, I think it was the New York Daily News, uh, had Ian saying, I can't believe everyone thought we were serious. This is a total joke. Do you think that anyone would actually use the word gobbledygook if it was an actual fight. Uh, but to me, I listen to those 50 seconds and I'm like, I hear like kind of the laugh of, oh, you know, it's second night of a back-to-back, ha, ha, ha. But most it, of it, when you heard firing line and uncalled for, and to me it sounded 100% serious. I, but it, and I think, it was, I think it was handled the right way instead of coming back with anything. It was like, hey, are you having a bad day? Like, I think that was actually the right way to sort of deflect and get it going back as like, hey, buddy, just, you know. The czar did well. Yeah. I just, so what do you think? Let me pose this to you, and normally you pose all to me. What if Ian Eagle was working with uh, Rod Allen and the Detroit Tigers? With, what, do you, what, what do you think oh, Rod would have did to him? I think Rod might have been a chokehold right there. I think what? Rod might have hit him over the head with the chair that they were arguing about at that point instead of just having a nice little back and forth honor and then ending in a chokehold in the uh, locker room or in the tunnel or, or wherever the uh, ensuing uh, brawl ended up happening. But I still don't think that that is anywhere near what Steve Forbes did to Brother Phil. Because no, that's, that's just. Again, hey, family. I mean, you're, you're hammering family and well that was i mean that was a, that was a good roast that was a good cold, roast oh. off the cuff and i did show him before the break i was like hey i'm gonna lead with this when we come so he, so had a second he did have a so i do feel bad <laughs> that i gave him a little extra time now he would have probably off the cuff come up with a few things but i think he had time to think about it now you you should feel bad because you probably ruined brother phil's month I, him and you has need, anyone need heard from brother sessions. phil i mean has I, I did I, well phil? we did write afterwards i've not since i will find we'll find out if brother phil calls in today brother phil i certainly and if hope. brother phil calls in I, I hope you i'm not screening the call no no i hope you spend a minute or two talking about how you feel about his comments about minnesota <laughs> get there and then maybe you fire brother phil up that's what i'm expecting you to do tonight well i hope brother phil is alive and well and coming into this show i hope there's more like what we heard from coach forbes because while the war path did involve me getting run over by that bus uh it was very very, very impressive what he managed to do to Brother Phil and a little bit to you and me as well. Yeah, and I felt the wrath before. It was good to have uh, it uh, kind of pointed the double barrel at somebody else. Yeah. I enjoy that for once. All right, what's we'll upside for a timeout when we come back? The very quick, bold prediction recap after this from Buccaneers Short Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks Jay Sandoz live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show every Wednesday at 6 right here on WXSM AM 640, The Sports Monster. Everyone in the stadium and across the NFL world is aware that quarterback Andrew Luck decided to retire. 
Antonio Brown ditches practice again after another issue with his helmet. There is a code that has been broken here with Antonio Brown. He's just not a good human. But unless you've been living under a rock, you guys all know that the AAF is folded. Wide receiver Josh Gordon has been reinstated and is now eligible to return to New England. The great Bill Belichick keeps giving Gordon chances. Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes told reporters flat out if UCLA had paid his buyout, he probably would be at UCLA now instead of at Tennessee. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. I like to, every now and again, kind of explain why that bumper sounds the way it does. If you don't listen on Fridays, you tune in Mondays, then you're probably like, well, I don't totally get it. Why are there sound bites of people saying these random things? Well, they're not exactly random because these predictions came from Jay and myself at different points throughout Sandos and the Sidekick. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. Retired. See we're doing. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model citizen when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college, you're crazy. Ryan Clark says he's not a good human. Probably the AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. AAF folded. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. There wasn't a soundbite about that, but it didn't happen. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering Mm. that UCLA job. See what Mike Greenberg then said. He would have taken this. Bold prediction. It wasn't for the buyout. So you, you see what we're doing here and just like doing that every now and again. I think we only did it in like August once this year and now if you're just new to bold predictions, you see we kind of make fun of ourselves just a little bit in that bumper. Of course, that being the one from Friday, while the one you heard coming into this segment is today's Mondays, which holds many sad things for me and Jay as usual. I said midweek last week, Patrick Good 5-3 or more in the Wednesday game for the box, and he did not take a shot. We already went over that one. Let me just go ahead and get my other ones out of the way. Basically, everybody in the top 25 was upset on Saturday in men's basketball, except for the team that I picked to be upset off my blind draw because I've basically been defeated by bold predictions over such a long period of time. It was Duke. It was Notre Dame. I scrolled down with my eyes closed, landed on that game, said I'm taking Notre Dame because I can't seem to get anything right, and I still can't seem to get anything right despite my eyes being open or closed. 94 to 60. Duke, the Blue Devils, now 12 and 2 in the ACC. And they're essentially, again, the only team that didn't seem to lose. Louisville lost in the top 25. And, I mean, you just had a lot of brutality amongst the top 25 with Seton Hall losing, Auburn losing, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, Georgetown beat Butler on the road. SMU beat Houston. Rutgers beat Illinois. Oklahoma State beat Texas Tech. Alabama beat LSU. Look at all the upsets. And, of course, the one that I pick was the largest margin of victory for the team I picked against in the top 25, a 34-point win. I don't think there was any other game separated. Oh, well, Creighton beat DePaul by 31, no, 29. So there at least was that one was close, but whatever. Uh, very close in the women's basketball side. Another blind draw, Arizona State, number 22 in the country. I took Washington, who had three Pac-12 wins going into the weekend, and they nearly, nearly made me look like a genius uh, and actually made me look even more stupid than the fact that if I would have gotten one right with a blind draw and can't get anything right while I know what I'm doing, uh, so maybe it's better that uh, Arizona State did end up winning by four. So I go 0 for 3. Uh, what were yours again? 
Lucas Gasson. I went with 18, 10, and 10, the uh, 18 points, 10 rebounds, 10 free throw attempts, and I should have went Davian Williamson. But uh, I didn't, so Lucas Gasson did have a nice game, 12 points, 6 rebounds. Again, limited a little bit in minutes. I actually, I thought should have given the ball a little more because he was 4 of 6 from the floor and 4 of 6 from the line, but didn't get there, so that was the first one. The second one was uh, women's basketball. Mercer would beat Sanford, and I think that was a double-digit loss at home to Sanford, so that didn't go well. And then my last one was the fun one. I had uh, also Mercer, men's basketball against UNCG. I thought around the eight-minute mark, it'd be maybe a one-possession game or Mercer leading, and then UNCG would win by double digits or more. And at the 8.06 mark, UNCG led by 13 and went on to a double-digit win, so not in the cards for me there. So you're telling me we both went over three again? Uh, yeah. So I am 15 of 73. You are 18 of 73. We have two more weeks of bold predictions. I'm gonna have to try and figure something else out. Eyes open, eyes closed. Do I need to have one can eye I, open? Can, can I give you one Pull other? Pull an eye out. Can I give you one other stat? Because you know UNCG loves to complain about officials. Okay. Uh, UNCG shot 28 free throws. Mercer shot five. That's kind of out of nowhere. You had that on your mind, didn't you? Kinda, well, no, their fans always complain every single game when they have less free throw attempts, but it was crickets when they had a plus 23 margin. Speaking of the war on path, the road. Jay Sandoz on a war path of his own. It's crazy. All right, what are we going to talk about Wednesday? We've got ETSU men's basketball preview, ETSU women's basketball preview, top 25, and... Fell down. Fell down. All that and more coming up on Wednesday on Sanderson's Sidekick on the Buccaneers Network. Let's get at it. See ya.